patriots. You are tuned into Living with Liberty, your source for common sense and truth. I am your host, Ryan. Today's show is going to be focused on the economy and business. We'll have Biden blaming business now for the failures of the economy. We'll talk about Smithfield closing their California plant. We'll talk the Fed's interest rate hike and what it means. And we'll finish up with how we are now in a recession. Next, on Living with Liberty. going on in the space of economics and business that we need to be tuned into. A lot of what I see is just a lack of basic understanding of economics about how businesses work. And it's, I think right now it's a very important topic. We need to understand what's going on. We need to understand that so we know how to identify the lies of the Biden administration when it comes to the economy and when it comes to what businesses are actually doing. Now, as I see it, tyrants and incompetence share a common trait. They blame others for their failures. They also try to vilify a group or entity in order to take the heat off of themselves and to try and mobilize support against that vilified group in order to get them, that group, to bend to their will. We see it all the time. We see it all the time with these leftist woke boycotts of companies, which, honestly, they actually, uh, if it's a good, solid conservative company that stands on principle, well, it doesn't even have to be a conservative company. Let's just say it's a good company that stands on principle, that understands that it's a bad idea to identify or uh, um, to uh, vilify half of their customer base, they're not going to bo- bend to the will of the, these lunatic boycotters. They just won't. They're going to keep going on, and people are going to recognize that and 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 move on. But that's the whole idea here: is they try and, and mobilize a group, they mobilize support against th- this group that they're attacking in order to get them to bend to their will. We've seen it, though. We've seen all the woke companies out there. I mean, so there's... There, it, unfortunately, it happens more often than not where the inmates run the asylum. They expect 
companies to be activists just like the ones working in them now and the companies bend to their will to the detriment of the shareholders to the detriment of of their bottom line because people see it they get tired of it and then they move on to to a competitor that isn't being overtly political i what people do what corporate heads do the executives who they support i don't care businesses should be apolitical they're but if you're going to run a successful business, you should be apolitical. Now, the latest group Biden is blaming for his poor policies and poor policy decisions is the ocean shipping lines. Yes, we've had the oil companies in there, too. But he's also blaming the ocean shipping lines. And like the oil companies, Biden is going after the shipping lines for the re- uh, record profits they've enjoyed. Well, they've also been raising their prices. So. Once again, here we have Biden, by and by proxy as handlers, showing how little grasp he and they have on the interconnectedness of policy to economic activity. Have ocean shipping rates gone up significantly from pre-scandemic levels? Absolutely. That's a fact. You can point to it. They're up many hundreds, many multiples of 100%. I don't remember what it is. I think Biden threw out there a thousand. I don't know. I don't think it's that high, um, but it is. It's they've they've doubled and tripled and quadrupled and quintupled out, you know, in the last couple of years. So that that is a fact. Nobody's going to dispute that the shipping rates have gone up, but we have to go beyond the. Uh, this idea of and the rhetoric that these companies are price gouging. Without addressing the root causes. Yes, Kamala, we are going to need to get to the root cause here. And it isn't because the shipping lines are gouging. Now, remember, do you remember? Remember when we basically shut down the world economy? Uh, that caused canceled sailings of shipments because there weren't any goods to be shipped. Everything was shut down. China has still to this day a zero COVID policy where they're shutting down cities. So they've, and it's happened in the last few months where they've shut down ports, port, uh, their port cities. Shanghai being the most recent, I believe it was Shanghai is the most recent. I haven't seen any since. That's the one sticking in my mind right now. So what does that mean? Well, that in turn means containers that were sitting in the U.S. waiting to go back to China because they weren't the sailings to take them back. What they do is uh, they put them on the ships, they unload a ship, they put containers back on, whether they're empty or full, and they send them back to China. So what did this do? We didn't have the sailings to take them back. Sailings were canceled, so that caused an imbalance to where the shipping containers were positioned. So we had a bunch of containers sitting on the American West Coast in the port of L.A. and Long Beach, as an example, that were uh, would have normally made it back to China, be ready to fill with the next load coming back this way. So we had containers just sitting in places where they weren't getting loaded. Caused a shortage in containers, basic supply and demand a shortage, with high demand means that prices are going up. So we have container sitting. That's one thing. Once the global economy started moving again, once commerce cross-border started again, cross transocean, we saw ships then parking off of our West Coast because they couldn't be unloaded fast enough. 
and that there weren't enough trucks taking them from the port to their destination. Additionally, the shipping lines were slow once uh, commerce, uh, once manufacturing started getting ramped back up again and more goods were being produced. Shipping lines were slow to add additional sailings because they already had equipment tied up, either waiting to be unloaded in port, sitting at port, waiting to be taken to the destination warehouse so the containers off the ship. It's just sitting in stacks. I talked about that before. Or it's sitting at the destination warehouse waiting to be unloaded. So again, you're contributing to, in some way, shape, or form, the shortage of containers These shipping lines aren't going to send empty boats across the ocean. So they were slow to add sailings. There was still a lot of uncertainty in the market, and ships are expensive to operate. The shipping lines weren't just going to add more sailings and risk having a ship and crew stranded at sea or at port because that country decided to do another lockdown. So you you had all these factors together. That, that combined to increase significantly the rates of ocean shipping prices. And then you throw on top of all this the upstream activity of manufacturing ramping back up and the output far outpacing the ability to ship it, get it loaded and shipped. You can produce goods. Generally, you can produce them faster than, especially when you have a truck shortage and equipment shortage, you can really produce them faster than you have equipment available to load it on and take it from your dock to wherever it's going, whether that be a port or another warehouse, whatever. You throw that on top of that, and you end up with a bidding war for the available equipment, for the available space on these ships, and prices go up. So in other words here, It's a long way to say the laws of supply and demand are at work, but we're getting down to the root cause. What happened? What caused prices to go up? Well, we had a whole litany of things there. So there's there's also another trick the President Tour de Farce is employing here in his attack on business. He is betting that you'll forget that a lot of companies actually lost money during covid So now they take the profits they're making today and comp them against profits, more like losses, that were made during the COVID years. He's betting on people not thinking about how much product is flowing in from Asia, utilizing all this equipment. He's not thinking about, or or he's betting on the people in general, not thinking about how uh, these companies lost money during COVID, how profits were down. We, we had a recession, right, from shutting down the economy. We, we ended up with a recession. They're starting to reference that now. He's betting on people forgetting about that. And, he's, and, and truthfully, like I said in the open, people, there, there's just such a lack of, of basic economics out there. So he's, he doesn't necessarily even have to bet on people forgetting about that. It's, people just don't understand economics. And it's, this is a simple, simple uh, concept here. Supply and demand. Supply of, of shipping containers is constrained. We have demand way in excess of what is available. Prices go up. That's how this works. And then, throw on top of all this, there's an ever-increasing reliance on overseas manufacturing. We haven't re- resourcing is, or reshoring is, is a thing. It's gaining some steam, but we still are way heavily reliant on Asia for manufacturing. 
So we have this this reliance on overseas manufacturing. They just shift it from China to Vietnam or Thailand or Laos or wherever. They're they're just playing hopscotch at times over there uh, in terms of where can we move this where there's less risk to disruption of our manufacturing operation instead of just saying, okay, let's bring it back to where we can control it. Uh, more easily, they just okay. It's still price driven, so they're they're playing hopscotch over there with with their plants and where they're sourcing stuff. Companies, so you you still have more product and more and more product being shipped from southeast uh, from Southeast Asia, which in turn means more profits because for the shipping companies because the rates are still so high in getting uh, containers over here. It doesn't matter which country it's shipping from. It's just a shortage going to that region, period. So you have more and more um, product coming this way. You're going to have higher and higher profits because there's more and more shipments coming. So they aren't comparing apples to apples here. They're looking at apples and oranges and pineapples and everything else. Could profits be higher now in the last year? And it's about when Biden's timeline starts here could they be higher than any uh, that on any other time in history in some of these industries in the shipping industry in particular yes absolutely they can be and are in fact higher uh, there were record record profits reported by a number of shipping lines in 2021 in fact in 2021 alone uh, that year supr- uh, surpassed the previous 10 years of profits combined for shipping lines, so that, yes, combined. So 2021's profits for a lot of shipping lines were more, significantly more, than if you added up the previous 10 years of their profits. And you pick a, pick a, uh, pick a shipping line, that's the case. Again, the cause isn't shipping lines gouging, it's supply and demand. A lot of shipping lines ran on smaller, even negative margins in uh, the 10 years prior. Once you take a look at this chart, uh, what it is, it's the third quarter earnings of the major ocean carriers from 2010 to 2021. And you'll notice how the 10 years leading up to 2021, most carriers had modest profits uh, to operating in the negative. Now, if gouging was going on, why wouldn't the ocean carriers try it in those lean years? So they're losing money. Why wouldn't, oh, we, let's just raise our prices. Goes back again to what the dunces in our government don't understand about basic economics. The supply of capacity on ships and containers was overly abundant in 2010 to 2020. There was way more capacity than demand, and a lot of that is because the carriers did it to themselves. And because of that, I'll get into that piece in a minute about how the carriers did it to themselves, but because of that, because of that overcapacity, a lot of carriers did well just to book shipments at their cost, meaning they didn't make a profit, meaning that they probably lost some depending on the time of year, uh, lost some money depending on the time of year. Now, how did the carriers do this to themselves, these ocean carriers? Well, they continued to build ever bigger ships that could carry more and more containers, even though there wasn't demand for those ships. They couldn't fill them. They continue to build ever bigger ships. The biggest ships currently operating can carry close to 24,000 containers, 
And the ones on order will be currently on order. It takes years to build these things. The ones that are currently on order will be able to carry more than that. So we are going to end up eventually again in a space where we have more capacity than, than demand. So in that time from 2010 up to 2020, there just wasn't enough product needed across the globe to fill those ships, to fill the containers on those ships, depressing prices. And again, I said, the carriers did it to themselves. They continue and they will in the future by continuing to build ever bigger ships and, and just not paying any attention to the laws of supply and demand here. And I think what COVID taught us is we better do some reshoring, especially of key industries. So I think as we get out into the future here, as more companies move their production back to closer to their home markets, you're going to see, uh, you're going to see these rates come down, and there really will be more capacity than than what's needed, and you might see even more of these these lines, these shipping lines, losing money. Now, as I've mentioned, and we've mentioned before, when production shut down, consumption still continued on. There, just because manufacturing stopped didn't mean people stopped buying stuff and and continued. To, to purchase goods, service, uh, goods and services were shut down to goods, right? So what that did, that drained the inventory without timely replenishment, causing the shortages we see today. Factories haven't caught and caught up yet. They're still, we know where there's still supply chain issues. Now we have, uh, with uh, everything going on today, we have factories, as I said before, are able to run faster than the shipping lines can take the product. They're able to run faster than they can even load it. So we have a lot of product being made now. Uh, we couple that with a shortage of containers and, and with companies that are eager to get their products to market. We end up with a bidding war for the equipment that hauls the goods and, and the space that's on the ships to carry these containers. So what we've ended up with is a perfect storm that produce the prices that are producing the windfall of profits for these shipping lines. Now, had COVID not happened, let's play a little what if here. What if COVID had not happened? Remember back to what I said before about the shipping lines doing this to themselves by building ever bigger ships. If COVID hadn't happened, things continued in the economy to operate the way they had been. These shipping lines would still be bumping along, modestly profitable to modestly losing money and the resident would have to find some other industry to try and beat on. There would still be way more ocean carrier capacity than demand had COVID not happened. Once inventories are back in balance, they will get there someday. Um, and sneak preview. I mean, we've I'm, we're in a recession. I fully believe we're in a recession right now. That will get inventories back in balance and it'll shoot the other way. Once we see that inventories are back in balance, the demand is lessened on these carriers, the ocean liners will see their profits come back down, like I said, to their historical levels, to being modestly profitable to losing money. And there will, no, there will be no need for government investigation or in the intervention to make it happen. It'll, it'll happen because that's what the market forces will make happen. Now, oh, kind of along those lines, have you noticed how much Biden has been blaming the rich and corporations lately as well? I mean, he 
the, the him taking a shot at the the ocean carriers you may not see that in the mainstream news um that's something that i see just in my line of work uh so i get all these other stories about how he's blaming shipping liners for extra uh for for you know making massive profits but have you noticed also what does get put in the mainstream news is how much he's blaming the rich and corporations i don't think that's by accident i think it's it's an attempt to shift towards more traditional means of implementing socialism and that's creating class warfare the race angle for democrats is disintegrating uh, the same people in this country have woken up to that, and the Dems are losing their coalition of Hispanics, Blacks, Asians, and droves. They're just le- they see the Democrat Party for what it is. They are leaving the Democrat Party. So the race angle is about dead. They they continue because they 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 for, forgot to replace the current thing chip, the racism current thing chip, the white supremacy current thing. They, they forgot to replace that one, so they still spout it. They're too deep down that, that road now um, to change course on that. So you'll still hear them, even though it's pushed uh, their coalition. Their, uh, and, the, and honestly, a coalition they thought they had the exclusive rights to of Hispanics, Blacks, and Asians out of the Democrat Party. Those communities are realizing that they have been nothing but a political pawn to Democrats for decades. Uh, the this whole listen to the experts narrative crumbled with the ineffective jabs, so they can't even use the fear of COVID to try and scare people anymore. People are done with it. The vast majority of people, you'll have some outliers out there. There always are. They can't use that tactic. They're trying monkeypox, but that's going nowhere. So now the Democrats have turned this back to a class warfare attempt at trying to implement socialism and class warfare traditionally has never worked in this country it's because we have we all know in this country we have the ability through our own hard work our dedication being competent in what we're doing we have the ability to to jump classes so that that's why it's never worked traditionally has never worked in this country and it will not work again this time and this will be something else that blows up in the democrats faces it'll be the next thing that drives more and more people out of the democrat party this time it'll be your you know your business owners all of this vilifying of corporations and and the rich all this will do is turn those corporate donors back toward the gop since who wants to continue donating to someone who vilifies you at every turn, raises your taxes, and enacts restrictive and needless regulations on you? Who wants that? I mean, there, I know there's a subset of people, right? I, but by and large, majority of people, who wants that? I don't care if you're rich, poor, middle class, whatever. Who wants to be paying more taxes? Who wants restrictive regulations placed on your business and, and that, that are just needless at that, that are only there to con- try and control you. Who wants that? Nobody. And so you were, uh, I saw this the other day on Twitter, and this just goes back to how people don't understand the basic economics. Any tax increase that gets 
uh, placed on a corporation just gets passed through to the consumer in the cost of the good or service they provide. Corporations don't pay taxes. Consumers do. Yes, the, the, at the end of the day, the corporations have a tax ID number and they have an account within their general ledger that is taxes and they pay that to the government, but corporations don't pay the taxes you, the consumer, do. They pass it. They pass it along, and the argument was, "Well, it's just the the cost of doing business. It's a a tax is a cost to a corporation. There, there's a thing called EBITDA. It's earnings before taxes, interest, depreciation, and I think it's amortization. I don't remember off them off the top of my head, but a lot of companies base their bonuses for folks off of that EBITDA number." And if taxes is a cost to a business, so if they're paying more in taxes like they did with the tariffs, if they're not recruiting, uh, recruiting that, uh, recuperating that through a tax uh, or through a price increase, then their earnings goes down at the end of the day because they take that the taxes out of that. I'm. I just can't with some of these people sometimes that say, well, corporations tax them more. They need to pay their fair share. They just pass it along to you. It's a, ta- it's a cost to them that they account for when they, they look at what they uh, want to make in terms of margin on their product or service. Just I, I the absolute stupidity, uh, not understanding basic economics and how money flows. Well, it's the corporation. I take the the corporations and rich, bad, current thing chip out of your head for a second and think for yourself. Okay, uh, taxes go up. Taxes are a cost to a company. That means my final price, if a tax goes up and the company chooses because it now is really cutting into their margin to raise their price, I'm paying that. I'm paying that corporation's tax. Now, the good news is, this vilifying that they're trying to do, that the Biden regime is trying to do, is is we're already seeing massive pushback. The the so the ones they went after that you probably seen are the oil companies. Biden wrote them a letter. We're gonna do this. We're gonna enact emergency actions. Blah blah blah. The good news is we're seeing these energy companies vigorously respond to the Biden administration's lies about them. They're sending letters back saying no. That's not how it is. We've actually taken these steps. You're lying, Joe Biden. What else is new? So now as, as more companies, because it, it, the, the oil companies are the easy one, because that plays to the green base of Joe Biden at this point. So it, that's an easy vilification for him. Now, you're going to see oil companies are like, huh, we don't care, right? They're going to take the the uh, uh, kind of approach that most of us do, and we've been called racists and bigots and whatever else. Right. Well, whatever. I don't. You're lying. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't know me. Get off. Go try and cancel somebody else. Companies are going to start doing this. And as more companies, because it's not you're going to see the next company that has record profits. You're going to see the Biden administration go after them. You will. Unless it's a tech company that's in the back pocket of the Democrat Party. You're going to see this administration go after the next set of companies, the next industry that has uh, record profits. You're going to see that. You will. So as more companies and more industries become the target of Biden's rantings about pay your fair share, 
They will no doubt join the side of the energy companies in rebuking this administration and tell them to go pound sand. You're lying, you're wrong, here's what we've been doing. And oh, by the way, it's been supply and demand that have caused the record profits. All right, if you are listening to the show, uh, audio only, and your platform allows for reviews, please give us a five-star review. It helps others find the show. Whether you are listening to the audio version or viewing on Rumble or YouTube, hit that subscribe button. The more subscriptions we have, the more the show gets into the recommendations made by the algorithms and the more we are able to spread the truth. All right, uh, to touch a little bit more on the oil companies that are in Biden's crosshairs. Since his begging of OPEC to increase output has failed, and the strategic oil reserve releases have done nothing to affect the price of gas. Surprise, surprise. We've gone over that a couple of times. Biden is now turning to threats of using emergency powers against the oil companies in order to boost their output while also blaming them for the high prices and their record profits. This is not only an exhibition of the trait of a tyrant that I opened with, blaming oil companies for his crap policies. It's also an exhibit, uh, exhibit of a tyrant trait of abusing power. It also shows the absolute socialist ethos of attempting to control the means of production. He's trying to say, oil companies, you're going to do this. I'm going to exercise my executive emergency authority to make you do it. Now, here's what Biden put in his letter to oil executives. It says this. In addition, my administration is prepared to use all reasonable and appropriate federal government tools and emergency authorities to increase refinery capacity and output in the near term and to ensure that every region of this country is appropriately supplied. Already, I have invoked emergency powers to execute the largest strategic petroleum reserve release in history, expand access to E15, that's gasoline, that's 15% ethanol, and to authorize the use of the Defense Production Act to provide reliable inputs into energy production. Now, here we go again, Biden threatening to abuse the power of the DPA. How the hell is he going to enact it in this case? One, refineries are running at capacity. Uh, relatively speaking, you'll see that refineries say they're running at 94, 95% capacity. That is where you want to run them. You don't want to run them at 100% because if something goes wrong, then the whole thing is down and you don't have the time to do the maintenance which increases the risk of the, the refinery going down on the equipment and causing a bigger issue. So if you're at 94 95%, that's pretty good. That's basically running at full capacity. So refineries, let's say, are running at full capacity. So that, that, that's line number one. That's one of the things he's, he's saying the refineries aren't running at, at full capacity, and the oil executives rebuke that right away. Now, how, I want to know how he's going to enact the DPA in this case to uh, ensure that uh, uh, we have reliable inputs, as he put it, into uh, energy production. Refineries produce one thing and one thing only, petroleum products. Now, there's many di different distillates that come out of it, but it's one thing. There's one input in and only one input into those products, and that's crude oil. There's nothing the DPA can be used for here. What 
to make sure we're not sending crude oil into the inputs of baby formula into Campbell's soup? What? Where? How are you going to make sure that you have reliable inputs into uh, energy production? The only, the only thing you can use the DPA for is to get maybe get our own refine or our own uh, oil drillers back drilling oil. That that's the only thing that's going to to relieve gas prices here. It's a futures market. Again, do they do not understand? Well, they do. I'm sure they do. They they act like they don't understand supply and demand, but it's a futures market. If the the outlook on oil in the future is that we're going to have less and potential shortages, companies buy into that future. Your your airlines, your um, uh, in companies that buy a lot of diesel are buying those futures contracts, locking in whatever the price is today for in the future to guard against it going up. How is he going to use the DPA to to have reliable inputs into energy production? Get it going. Build more refineries. They won't do that, though, because this is the point, is to have high energy prices. So we'll say, oh, yeah, uh, green energy sounds good. Yeah, never mind that it's more unreliable. That sounds good. Let's do that. You're going to lower my price. And then they take the government subsidies away from it on the green energy, and that skyrockets too. But, uh, you know, green energy, current thing, Chip, I can't think that way. There's no ability to direct any other entity to prioritize raw materials for a refinery. There's no other entity to direct to say you must produce uh, processed crude oil into gasoline. That's what the DPA does, and there is no other entities except for the oil companies and their refineries that you can direct at this point. There's one input, crude oil. It comes from one place, drillers. This is just another case of bluster by a president who was in way over his head, who screwed everything up because he decided it was more important to get patted on the back by a fringe minority of the population as opposed to doing what's good for the rest of of our country here. He's in way over his head. He's trying to, to look tough and in charge, but he only continues to look like a bigger buffoon day by day. And as I mentioned earlier, the oil executives responded and called the resident out for his bluff and bluster. Now, the last step of the process of this vilifying uh, companies, of vilifying the rich, of vilifying those that invest in the economy, the last step here the Dems are going to eventually see is declining donations to their party, especially if they keep vilifying these corporations because where does the big money come from? Rich and corporate donors and, and corporate PACs. Go look it up. I've looked at some of them. It's it's grotesque the amount of money these corporations put into their POCs and throw at both parties. It just and it's it's unproductive money. That's money they could invest in their operations R and D to make better products. But no, they they cheapen the products, make them crappier because they're filtering a bunch of money to their PACs that go to these dead end. Um, it's a dead-end investment into these political parties. Eventually, the, the Dems, and Republicans too, let's be honest, they will too if they go down that road. The, eventually, they're going to run out of, of, of 
these companies, these corporate donors that are not on board with their agenda and they'll have to churn and eat the ones that support them and vilify them. And then those ones will get alienated. They'll go elsewhere and donate elsewhere as well. It's coming. All right. Onward. California's high regulatory and high tax climate has claimed another business. This one being Smithfield Meats. They had a plant in California that they said, we are closing this in 2023. It's just too expensive to operate here anymore. And of course, the minute it was announced, the conspiracy theorist calls began again. See, they're closing another food plant. They want us to starve and become government dependent. The government didn't say close the plant. This was Smithfield as a business doing it on their own accord. And I'll show you in a minute that that production is only moving elsewhere. It's not shutting down. There's not going to be a countrywide shortage because of the meat. It's just a business making a business decision. Now, I don't like Smithfield Meats. They're owned um, pretty much by some Chinese entity. I believe that has ties to the CCP. So I try and avoid Smithfield Meats as much as possible. They're a big conglomerate. So that gets hard to do, as you all know. But it's a business decision they made on their end, not some conspiracy. Now, as usual, the simplest explanation in the closing of this plant here is the right explanation. And anyone that reads beyond the headline will see that this was a pure business move to cut costs and get out of a state with insane regulations and taxes. Now, I want you to think about this from, from a business standpoint for a second. Is a company, especially one that is turning a profit, going to just shut down a facility and not have a plan to replace that production, not have a plan in place to supply that market with whatever it was they were producing, in this case, meat, pork? That, that should be the first question that's asked before any conspiracy theory about strangling the food supply is uttered. Is a profitable company going to just shut down a plan and say, no, we're done? Yes, Smithfield is shutting down its California plant and also reducing its western herd in Utah and California. And that reduction in the herd is presumably in response to closing the California processing facility. Now, you'll see why in a minute. I'll explain in a minute why not only is they, do they need to shut down the plant, but you got to call the herd a bit too in response to this. Now, the Midwest regional facilities are going to be picking up this volume and servicing the West, particularly California. So, like I said, the Smithfield is going to take this production at this processing facility, pork processing facility, and they're going to move it to their Midwestern plants. Now, if they were trying to strangle the food supply, would you be moving production somewhere else? No, you just say, nah, we're, we're done. Uh, we're just going to be done. People aren't going to get their pork chops or ham or whatever. Um, we're done. We're going to strangle the supply. We want to gouge people and raise prices artificially. No, they're moving their production to the, the Midwest facilities. And th- those Midwest facilities will service the West. So now getting back to the culling of the herd, In order to do this, I would presume that the Midwestern herds of pork or pigs, sows, will be increased 
to support the increased volume moving through these Midwestern processing plants. Now, it's, it's really not efficient to ship hogs from California and Utah back into the Midwest. I'll, I'll tell you from a, a, just to outline this, from a pure logistical standpoint, it's stupid to ship your, your good, your input, your raw input here being live hogs from the place where they're going to end up as processed meat back and then back again. That's just stupid. It costs money. Shipping live animals isn't cheap. So you have to call the herd in Utah and, and um, California and increase the herd in the mid that are closer to the Midwestern plants. You're going to take the most direct route. And the most direct route is if you have a plant in Nebraska, it's going to be a farm in Iowa or Kansas or Nebraska. It's not going to be a farm from Utah or California. So you're going to ship them from there, and then you're going to ship them out to the finished product out to California. Simple logistical flow. It, it, but again, it's, you have to get out of this mindset of, of past the headline of, oh, a facility shut down. Guess what? They're strangling the food supply. And read the story. And, and just to further debunk this claim that this is a reduction in the food processing capacity, to strangle the food supply, the company Smithfield is relocating any worker from that California plant that wants to go to the Midwestern plant so they can keep their job. So what does that say? That says we are keeping our volumes. We're looking to grow and we know we need to bolster the workforce in those Midwestern plants. We are shifting the volume to, so we're going to pay to relocate people that want to move from the California plant to the Midwest. Again, read the story. Now, here's what Jim Monroe, VP of Corporate Affairs at Smithfield, had to say about, what, about why they were closing the California facility. He said this, The cost of doing business in California is significantly higher than other states where we operate. Utilities, for example, are three and a half times per head higher than our other locations where we do the same work. Taxes and other costs are significantly higher. And he also notes the red tape of operating in California as a challenge, noting that uh, Proposition 12 there uh, being an example that he noted. And then this is what Proposition 12 is. It's uh, an animal, animal protection bill backed by the Humane Society that mandates factory farms to give hens, sows, and veal calves enough room to stand up, lie down, turn around, and stretch their limbs without hitting the sides of a cage. All right, nobody has a problem with that, right? But it, I'm all for um, the ethical treatment of animals, right? So Prop 12 also bans the sale of non-qualifying products from out of state. So what does that mean? Well, that means Californians get ready for even more shortages with the closure of the Smithfield plant. As I said, I'm all for the ethical treatment of animals, but outside of California or those supplying California, so I would say it's probably relatively confined there, I don't know that there are many producers abiding by this law currently because, like I said, the, the production is, is and distribution of final produced items are kept relatively local. So... I don't know that there are many producers right now abiding by this California law, the animal protection bill that I just mentioned, especially that, uh, like I said, production uh, was in state in California. They had their own Smithfield plant there. So I don't know. They 
other companies saw the market and said, well, okay, we're not necessarily shipping a ton of product in there. Uh, we're not necessarily going to abide by that. But now that the production in the state has been, uh, is moving out, how many of these other company farms are going to make that investment then to sell in California? So you have to have um, facilities, cages and such that allow, um, you know, the, these animals to stand up, lie down, turn around, stretch their limbs without hitting the sides of a cage. Again, I, I'm all for that. Let, let's be ethical in the treatment of our animals. Let's be respectful of, of uh, the animals we're using for our food supply. But you have to wonder how many are abiding, were abiding by that because there was this production in California and they didn't have to sell a bunch of product into California. Uh, so Californians, get get ready. I When this plant closes, unless the, these investments are made by these other companies now that are going to uh, inevitably want to maybe move in and fill this space in California in terms of, of um, um, demand. I don't know, you know how long it takes if these companies are going to invest. So you know, just I'd be aware of a potential shortage on pork coming in the, in the future here, 2023, when the Smithfield plant closes, because I don't know how many farms, these factory farms are going to make investments to sell in California now with interest rates rising. I mean, this is farming's not a high money outfit, not a high money operation. How many are going to make this investment? I don't know. Uh, it remains to be seen. And, you know, here's the other thing I want to touch on quick before moving on is the utilities piece. Three and a half times per head higher than other locations, according to the Smithfield uh, executive here. This is the green energy. And that three and a half times is there's still subsidies on that. Imagine what it would be without subsidies. I these are the things people aren't thinking about. This the energy that goes into creating our food, to processing our food. It's going to be a mess if we continue down that path. All right. So the Fed, the Fed rates uh, uh, raised its interest rates. Uh, the first hike is in the books, and it was exactly what I expected. You know, as much as they were saying, "Nah, it's going to not be any more than 05 percent." They come out with 0.75%, which is what I said it would be. And I think this is likely the uh, just the beginning of that. At this point, they back themselves into a corner. There's only really one way. Well, there's two ways. But with this administration in place, there's only one way to soak up the money supply in the economy, and that's to raise interest rates. The other way would be to lower taxes, deregulate, and open the economy up, for and companies would start investing again. And you'd have some, uh, uh, a lot of uh, innovation and things happening that would soak up the money as well. But this administration is not going to do that. So the only way at this point, the only tool left in the Fed's toolbox is to raise interest rates. Now, the economic illiterates running the show backed us into this corner, uh, the one where the Fed has only this one option left to cool inflation, the continued printing of money. I'm, the Republicans are just as at fault. They voted for these bills, these COVID relief bills that uh, spent a bunch of money. They uh, kind of tagged on to this infrastructure spending that we didn't have money for, that we didn't pull back any other spending for. We just threw that out there, trillion plus whatever it was. Uh, so you have economic illiterates running the show. We have another talking point here that's going to be a soft landing. No, it's not. We're 
we're past the soft landing stage. The soft landing stage was quit printing money. That was the soft landing stage. Quit printing money. Quit sending money to uh, uh, Ukraine. Send $40 billion there. Quit sending our money all over the planet to just be laundered back into the pockets of these corruptocrats. That was, that was the soft landing. We're, we're past the soft landing stage at this point. We have shortages all over. We have inflation that has yet to abate. And we have a stock market that has entered a bear market. This is not going to be a soft landing. Now, I did a show that I think was a year ago, eight months ago, something like that on the coming recession when they were printing all this COVID money. I said it won't be because we have an overabundance of inventory of goods. We don't have some sort of bubble. I, I said we, this recession that was coming wasn't going to be because we have a bubble of some sort and inventory piles are growing. I said it was going to be because we don't have enough goods to purchase with all the money that was printed by the government and uh, inflation was going to rise. And, that, and because we don't have any money or we don't have any goods to purchase with all the money that, that's been printed that eventually economic growth was going to slow and start going negative, which is a recession. Now, eventually the bills come due and this bill is coming due now in the form of higher interest rates to cool inflation and a higher interest rate means less investment because the cost of money is going up, which means that a recession is coming, I say here, because the economy will contract because there's no investment in it causing it to expand. There's nothing left to buy. Interest rates are rising. Businesses aren't going to invest at high interest rates, especially when they've been near zero, when they've been really low. So we have the, the one option here is raise the interest rates, trigger a recession. That's where we are. Now I'll go over in a bit and lay out even more evidence that we are probably in a recession right now. We have the bear market. That's one. I talked about... Uh, one of the leading indicators I look at, the trucking market, we have that one. I've got another one here we'll go over in a minute. Now, with this recession, will we see massive layoffs? Because that's what we typically see, right? I don't know. I don't know if we will this time. The one thing that has been hard to get a handle on is how many people actually want to return to the workforce to begin with. We haven't seen that workforce uh, participation rate Climb. We've seen, we keep hearing about all these shortages in, in terms of labor. Now, the workforce participation rate is a bit over 62% right now. And that is among the lowest rates, if not the lowest rate since the 1970s. So what we might see here with this low participation rate in the workforce, we might just see that job postings dry up, that companies start pulling them down as opposed to the job losses. So they won't be hiring. And I think... Um, this is just anecdotal. It doesn't necessarily prove anything, but it could be the start. I had a friend who was uh, had applied for a job. They got through a uh, the initial kind of phone interview they do, and he was waiting, waiting, waiting to to for a response on the final interview because they said, "Yeah, we want to bring you in for the final interview." And then they finally got back and said, uh, "We just reorganized and we eliminated that position, that posting for now." That could be. We, and it was a big company, so that could be a sign of things to come. I'm not saying it is. I'm saying that might be what we see is just these job postings dry up. They pull them down. We don't need these people. We'll just reorganize. We see the recession on the, on the uh, horizon here. We're going to retrench and 
um, and ride it out with what we've got. We're probably going to be good going forward until we come on the other side of this recession. Now, what I do think we will see is stagflation. Now, as those posted jobs go away, companies will not be as inclined to offer ever-increasing wages to attract workers. And companies will not have to hand out large pay increases to keep workers jumping to a new company. So what will we see? The, the pricing power of labor swings back into the, uh, in, into the uh, realm of, of companies, of the employers. What happens then? Wages will stagnate because there's not going to be any growth. We're in a recession. People will be just happy to be keeping their jobs at that point. So wages will stagnate. Um, but the inflation problem will persist because we are only in the beginning stages right now with uh, the first Fed increase of, you know, we're only in the beginning stages of getting inflation under control. I think there's going to be a need for another two or three significant hikes in short order to get inflation quelled quickly. So we are in for a rough landing on this one. You all know I tend to look at the optimistic side of things, but the massive amounts of money that was printed, or more aptly put, uh, that was put into being by the click of a mouse, it has us really on the precipice of a rough recession, I think. And I think we are probably... Uh, about three weeks or so, I would say, from getting the second quarter GDP numbers, and I am expecting them to be in the negative for a second straight quarter, which means uh, the official start of a recession. I went over a few shows ago how um, the the so-called expert analysts have been revising their outlooks down from, I think one went from 3%. I don't know where they got a 3% expectation from, given where things are heading, have been heading, but they went from 3% to 2%, and you had some that went all the way down to less than a percent. I think we're going to be in the negative again. I think um, we're going to have a recession. It could be rough here, especially, like I said, I, I think it could be stagflationary. We could see a point where now job postings come down. People are just happy to keep their job. Companies are less inclined to, to offer raises. They don't need to. They got all the labor we need. Wages stagnate. Inflation continues on, job market bumps along, and eventually you might get to the point where job losses happen. I don't know. That remains to be seen. But uh, it's going to be a rough landing. Now, I mentioned this earlier, and I've covered, and I said I covered, you know, before a leading indicator I look at in terms of are, are we heading towards a recession or not. Uh, I have a few lagging indicators that may be pointing us towards a recession as well. Um and this is as much as some economists and analysts don't want to admit it. I don't know if they're in the pocket of the administration, the media, or what, but you have these overly optimistic analyst calls out there saying, you know, 3% GDP growth, oh, no, it's going to maybe be two, some going down under one. The the market, it's it's already here. I, I, they, if they're trying to avoid panic, we're already in the midst of it. There's not going to be any more panic that already than already is. Market, we're in a bear market down 20% from its previous high. We're in a bear market. Now, here's the other indicator that, and this is a big one if you ask me, Target, Walmart, and Amazon all missed their quarter one earnings and missed them significantly. And this, and mind you this, they missed their earnings, their quarter one earnings at a time when we are being told spending is still strong and the economy is stronger than ever. Yet Target, Walmart, and Amazon, three of the biggest retailers in this country, 
all missed quarter one earnings significantly. And on top of that, on top of that, so we had a bad quarter one earnings for those three uh, giants of retail. On top of that, Target and Walmart revised their quarter two earnings downward, uh, quarter two earnings forecasts downward significantly. I'll post an article in the description box from NASDAQ where the writer indicates the earnings calls uh, were more confusing uh, rather than clarifying. I, I don't understand this article. His argument is weak. We'll get into it here. So here's the deal with this, why he thinks it's the earnings calls were confusing more so than clarifying. He's trying to compare in his article the fact that Williams-Sonoma and Macy's, uh, having beat their expectations, were a reason to believe we were not yet in a recession. Even the Walmart, Target, Amazon all missed earnings expectations in a big way. Now, here's the deal with this, right and again, put no context, the article put no context around the size of these companies. So you're thinking, oh, Williams, Sonoma, and Macy's, oh, they beat their expectations. We must be doing pretty well. Well, here's the deal. Walmart, Target, and Amazon, along with your value channel retailers like Dollar General, Dollar Tree, Family Dollar, Burlington are, to me, bellwether indicators of how consumers are feeling. Williams-Sonoma and Macy's are higher-end retailers. And who are the last ones that are going to feel the pain of a recession? The rich. Now, as we wrap up here, I want to leave you with the explanation of why it's ridiculous to think that because a couple of higher-end retailers did well in quarter one, that we are still not anywhere near a recession. Now, to be to be totally honest, the the dollar call them the dollar stores, your Dollar General, Family Dollar, Dollar Tree, um, they did well also in quarter one. They may, met expectations. Cool. That's why I say they are also an indicator, a uh, bellwether indicator of how consumers are feeling because they uh, they made expectations. I think if if Consumers weren't feeling good. They wouldn't have made their expect. They wouldn't have um, met their expectations for earnings, right? Because those consumers are flooding. Those stores would go somewhere higher end. They'd go, you know, to let's say a Walmart. You know, not that Walmart's a higher end, but it's a step up certainly from the dollar stores. You know, Target certainly is. Amazon, you know, is. So, I want to show you why it's ridiculous to think that. Just because Williams-Sonoma and Macy's, a couple of higher-end retailers, did well in quarter one, that it's ridiculous to assume from that that we're not anywhere near a recession and not in a recession. Listen to this. So Williams-Sonoma has $8 billion in revenue in the last 12 months. So they're an $8 billion company. Macy's has $25 billion in revenue in the same time period the last 12 months. Okay, Ryan will sound like big numbers. Yeah, they are. But let's compare it to the three... Uh, big boys that missed earnings by uh, a, a ton that, that significantly underperformed. Walmart, $506 billion in sales in the last 12 months. Target, $106 billion in the 12 months, previous 12 months. And Amazon, 
$477 billion in revenue in the same time period. So how can you hedge, uh, how can you make a statement that says, uh, well, Williams-Sonoma and, and, and Macy's had good quarters. We're not in a recession, even though Walmart, Target, and Amazon missed significantly. Look at the just the disparity. What are you going to hedge your analysis of the market on? You as uh, the a non, let's call it maybe a non-expert. Maybe you watch economics a lot. I don't know, but you as a non-economics analyst, where you don't do this day in and day out, what are you going to hedge your bet on? And what do you, how are you going to analyze things? Are you going to say, oh well, because he's you know eight billion dollar company, twenty five billion dollar company met expectations or exceeded them? Oh, we're not in a recession yet. How, where are you gonna where are you gonna place your bets, and how how are you gonna look at the market? Are you gonna look at companies that are, are I'm sorry against the three giants a pittance in terms of earnings, or are you gonna look at the big boys and say, well, if they missed their earnings significantly, and the the dollar value channel retailers at least met expectations of their earnings, it's probably not looking good. So you have. Uh, are, are you going to bet and and make that determination on a couple of high-end retailers that had good quarters where their clientele are going to be the last ones affected by a recession? Or are you going to look at the three biggest retailers in the market who significantly missed quarter one earnings forecasts and significantly reduced their quarter two expectations? Folks, we are likely in a recession. The GDP numbers that come out in a few weeks will confirm that for certain. If if we happen to grow a little bit, great. We're on the precipice of a recession if we're not already in it. I think we're already in it. At this point, I all I can say is be prepared. Save money where you can. Stock up on critical essentials where you can. Because we are going to be in for a hard landing. Friends, that's my show for today. Thank you for listening. Please check out my website, livingwithlibertypodcast.com. There you'll find links to my past shows, my original articles, as well as other resources to help arm you with knowledge in fighting off the prevailing narratives of the day. While on my website, shop my store, Living With Liberty Outfitters. Lastly, I'd be so grateful if you shared, subscribed, and left a positive review of the show, should your listening platform allow. Subscribing helps us move up the charts and helps more people find the truth. I appreciate you spending part of your day with me. Please help us spread the truth by sharing my show and website with friends and family, as well as on your social media accounts. My website is livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Also, let's connect. Follow me on Parlor. My handle is at livingwithliberty. You can also email me. The address is ryan at livingwithlibertypodcast.com. Liberty isn't a given. We must fight to protect it. Working together, we will do exactly that. Until next time.